Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and inspires you. Before we get into that message, we want to remind you about just a couple of things. First off, if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here at the Cersei campus, text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information about what's going on here at our local campus, and you can give online there as well. You can also get connected to life groups and so much more just by texting Cersei to 88000. Now get your Bible apps ready and prepare to hear a great word today. Again, so uh, thankful for for having you here on a cold day. I felt really sorry for some of our campuses this morning. They were sitting in pictures and uh, just uh, Fayetteville specifically, Fort Smith, they are already slammed uh, this morning uh, with snow and on top of, of ice that uh, hadn't hadn't broken yet. And so I, I'm not kidding when I say I'm just glad that we can be together today. want to welcome all those who are watching online. Uh, thank you so much for um, making us jealous of your pajamas and hot chocolate, but we're going to love you anyway. Last week, we um, talked about righteousness and uh, I looked at that as kind of a standalone me- message and we talked about just what it means to be right and to be right in the eyes of God. And uh, I kind of wanted to uh, graduate that out. I'm not calling it a series yet. Maybe if I start next week, we'll start part three in that series. But I am going to tether it really close. And I kind of wanted to, to spend some time the next couple of weeks talking about um, these uh, spirits, three spirits specifically, to guard ourselves against. And one thing I kind of set out in my mind to do this year is because we spent last year so much of our time in church talking about, you know, determination and adapting well and trusting God and following God. And those themes are always great and they're always healthy. But I really had it on my heart for this year to disciple us, to really look at some topics that we wouldn't normally visit. Uh, to talk about some things that are hard and uh, for the purpose of discipling our own people. And even though we um, have an outreach mentality, I really wanted us to be able to focus inward for this whole year and be thinking about ourselves and growing and submitting ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so today I want to talk about those things. Today is a tough topic, okay? I'm I'm not going to lie to you. It may be... um, just as challenging to hear as it was to prepare for. But I, I do want to promise you this, that I'm not going to preach today from the angle of condemnation, and I don't want, want you to feel that. I want you to feel this as um, an opportunity uh, to see ourselves, to grow, to become more like Christ. And if you're in the parenting fra- uh, phase of your life, this is good material that you're going to want to at some point talk to your children about. So I just think it's applicable to our whole church, and uh, I want us to tackle this topic and make ourselves aware of it. So I want to just preface this by asking you, have, have you ever noticed, especially in the early scriptures or the oldest of scriptures, uh, specifically the Pentateuch and going through the Old Testament, that some of the stories that you read and that we go through and we talk and we try to modernize and, and bring into the modern church, um, they're, they're crazy stories. Um, you, you can look at them as a modern reader and you go, man, um, I don't know if that's a fable. I don't know if that is exaggerated. I don't know if that is 100% the way it unfolded. I mean, that is an interesting take on that particular story. To give you an example, just in Genesis 
There is a re- rebellion of mankind. There's a murder, uh, a flood that destroys all but one family, and then that one family builds a boat and gets in it with every animal in the world. And so uh, one generation later, cities are destroyed uh, by fire. A woman is turned into a pillar of salt. And Abraham is hiking a mountain um, with one goal in mind, and that's to sacrifice his own son. And this is all in just the first book. So we look at that and we go, man, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of Jerry Springer in that, in that one book. And so today I'm going to take us to another uh, book. I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 13. And oftentimes when I read Scripture, this is just my, my personality. It doesn't make, make it right, but I'm just saying it's, it's, it's who I am. But I look for uh, a lot of mystery, uh, things that need, need to be solved, things that provoke me to dig further and look further. I also look, look for comedy. I look for eccentric parts of Scripture and go, what in the world does that even mean? What's happening there? Today is one of those stories. And so this is one that if you, you know, got up on, on a, a Monday and you were like, man, I need something to start my, my week with, and you open up your one-year Bible and look at it, you're going to be like, man, I can't wait until tomorrow's reading. So uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13, the text has 15 verses. So what I'm going to do is I've kind of put it in my notes to paraphrase it. So if you're following in your Bible, it's going to sound different. And I'm doing that. I just took out the repetitive parts and things that I, I didn't feel like I needed to, to really focus on to get the point across. So I'm going to read 2 Samuel 13, 1 through 15 in the NIV. This is what it says. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. And Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. And Amnon had an uncle named Jonadab, David's brother. And Jonadab asks Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so sad morning after morning? And Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab says, Go to bed and pretend to be sick. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to bring me something to eat. Verse 7, So David sent word to Tamar, Go to the house of your brother Amnon, prepare food for him. And Tamar went to the house of her brother and made bread. Verse 9, And she served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, he said. So everyone left, and Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food here into my bedroom that I may eat from from your hand. Verse 11, But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me. No, brother, she said, Do not force me. Do not do this wicked thing. Verse 14, But he refused to listen, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Watch verse 15, because it all culminates right, right here. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and get out. Very, very tough story. 
we look at this and we go, man, what, what life principle you know, can we really take from such a travesty? And so I really want to begin this story by simply talking about this very hard phrase and truth that was revealed to the author of this story, chronicling the, the life of David. He hated her more than he had loved her. And I want you to think for just a second about, about your own life. I want you to think about how rare this statement is. Have you ever in your life, or for sure you can count on one hand, maybe just a few fingers, the times in your life where you have, have had this kind of emotion toward a person or a situation where you look at it and you go, you know what, I hate this more than I ever loved it. It's rare. It's a very rare statement and construct. And here's why, because this statement is birthed out of hurt or shame. So in, when someone hurts you terribly, you may be tempted to take angst against them and you say, you know what, I hate you more than I ever have loved you. In this case, it's birthed out of shame. Amnon has, has driven himself mad over this inappropriate love for his sister. And as we've just read, this terrible scene has unfolded that obviously was sped up. This took many, many days and many, many weeks. Who knows how many years he had obsessed about these thoughts. And now through... Uh, the wickedness and wicked counsel of his uncle, he finally is able to, to cross the T's on this and put a plan together of his wicked thoughts. And then once he has what he wants, you can sense the shame in this room. Get up and get out. I want to act as if this didn't happen. Don't, don't you talk about this? Don't you tell anybody? I'm not going to think about it. when you see me, you look the other way. Just get, get out of here. Shame began to drive this and say, let's, let's not, you know, you just you get out of here. You get up and you get going. And hatred, more than he ever loved her, set in. This is not a love story. This is a lust story. And lust can come in many forms. It, Eve wanted the fruit of the garden that was forbidden to her to be, to be tempted to be more like God, to know things she didn't know, to have knowledge of things that she had never experienced, and she lusted for it. Lot wanted land. Finally, he and Abraham had butted heads, and finally they said, listen, we got we to separate, okay, because we're not getting a, a, a long, we're, we're both wealthy, we got, more, we got more cattle than we can share, you, you, you're going to have to pick somewhere, I'm going to pick somewhere, and there was, there was this greed involved, this, this longing for more. Achan wanted gold against God's order. He saw it. He wanted it. He put his hands on it. He buried it in his tent. It ultimately cost him his life along with his children's lives. Elisha suddenly was filled with 
thoughts of, I want expensive clothing. I want what he offered, and so I'm going to go and get that, Elisha's servant. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back and have Naaman give me those expensive clothes. And he became a liar over it. David ended up with another man's wife. Why? The same thing. Lust. To look upon something and to want it. Now, for the sake of, of just maintaining thought, I know we can add a lot of, of synonyms and we can get into, in, into the weeds on, well, what, what's greed and what's, what's coveting and what's adultery and what's, what's lust and all of that. Today, I'm umbrellaing that over this desire to want something and we shouldn't have it. And how this plays out. The unfortunate part of this is Scripture's chocked full with these experiences of people wanting something. It can be as small as, as beef stew traded or stew traded for a birthright. All the way down to when David said, I, I want this so bad that I'm willing to kill your husband over it. it it's something terrible. And the whole way this theme plays out in our humanity, whether you're looking at it through Scripture or you're looking at it through a historical lens or you picked up the paper yesterday, you will see that this is something that, if we're not careful, this will sabotage and derail our lives completely. This inability to control the things that we want but should not have. Lust can only promise what it cannot give. Lust can own us. It can drive us to do some frightening things. When you think about people who you know and their personal story who may have derailed themselves, and you hear it, even times in our own lives we look at things and we would look at a, at our, a younger version of ourselves and we would say, there's no, there's no way I would ever do that. Like, I would never, like, embarrass myself or embarrass my family or embarrass my church. It's sad to say, but I, I, know, I know a lot of pastors, and I have pastor friends who have found themselves in this predicament where they have to stand up on a Sunday morning and explain something that they don't want to explain. But they, they would have looked at themselves a year ago or three years ago or five years ago and said, that's never going to happen to me. Lust can take up massive amounts of headspace, and it can even make you physically miserable. I mean, this text that we read today says Amnon became ill by it. I mean, he thought about it so much that it affected his body's chemistry. He thought about it and thought about it and thought about it till he got nauseous. Maybe he got headaches. Maybe he lost sleep. Maybe he lost his appetite. Whatever it was, the symptom, we know the Bible just, just broadens it as he became ill by it. But it got inside of him, and it started to affect him in a real way. And here's what we know about lust. It always begins with our senses. It always starts with something that we can taste, touch, feel, smell, and see. And here's why, and you've probably... A lot of you have heard this teaching about how the senses are the gate to the mind. And, you know, so it's framed out as the ear gate or the eye gate and so on. And so you got to be careful about what you let in and those, those, those gates. But when it comes to the senses, we are sensory beings. We are designed to sense. It's the way 
God made us to experience an incredible world around us. It's beautiful that we can describe the world here. Hopefully, this afternoon, we're going to see some beautiful snow falling. You're going to love it. You're all going to take a picture. You're going to post it on Instagram. Because you love it. You find pleasure in it. You're going to go out with your kids and laugh and build snowmen and stick some in your mouth and throw some at the dog you hate. At least I am. You're going to do all kinds of those types of things. Why? Because you find pleasure in those sunrises and sunsets and, and certain smells. And you, you just, you, we're, we're designed to pleasure the world. But what lust does is it takes something you've experienced in the senses and it gets into your mind as a thought. So as you are upwardly processing what you are taking in from the senses, it's getting pushed upward and you're processing that experience and it becomes bent. It becomes a bent image or bent reality. You know, growing up, we, we had a house of mirrors that were so popular everywhere You'd go to Silver Dollar City and they had this section for kids. And when I'd run in there and it'd be this house of mirrors. I mean, it felt like you were never going to get out of there. And you'd run in, your feet would be huge and your head would be little bitty. And you'd go to the next section, be the opposite. Your head would be big and have an eyeball this big. And kids were laughing. It freaked me out. I wanted out of there. I didn't like it. And even though I can look at myself, I can look down and see that nothing's changed, but when I look at it through that, that lens, things become distorted. This is what lust does. When it becomes your filter, we become delusional that, that someone or something else, as long as we can get that, them into our lives, if we could unfurl this circumstance in our own lives, we would be happier and wealthier or smarter, or better. There's some, there's some word that we're all grasping for when we fall for this. So whether it's someone that's attractive to see, or food that's pleasurable to smell, or even money that feels good in your hand, it can all be a false storyline for us. Because lust always ends with some form of hatred, and hate is the enemy of love. The next principle to bring out of this story is this. Lust will always lie. There is no truth in it. It feels like truth, and we have a, we have a terrible fault in, in who we are because we love, and again, this can be backed up with historical context, whether it's Scripture or outside of Scripture. We love to lie to ourselves. Sometimes before we ever lie to anyone else, we first Lie to ourselves. Now, we don't call it a lie. We call it, there's a, a, you know, a, a better word, justify. We can justify just about anything. I don't know if you've ha ever had an impulse buy, but you did that because you justified it. I can do it. I can afford it. I want it. It's great. We need it, right? We need it. If you tell me we need it, we'll, we'll, we'll get it. You know, if this is better for the kids, whatever, whatever reason, whatever your mind does, we justify the impulse by, and then you go home and you sleep on it and you feel terrible the next day, and you're like, hey, I don't think this was very smart. Why is that? Because you had lied to yourself, and then you gave your mind the ability to come back to truth. Snap out of it, right? Lie or lust always 
lies. And we start that by justifying things to ourselves. It's not going to be that bad. I'm not giving up too much. This is a small sin. This is a thought unchecked. Nobody knows. It's just my secret. I'll deal with me and God about this. And you justify things. But listen, to be free, we have to understand the lie and where it comes from. So I want us to just dig just a little bit more this morning. The word lust in the Greek is the word epithumia. Now this is, this is two words. Epa means in, I-N, and thumia means the mind. So he's saying this when he's mentioning the word lust. He's saying it's epa, epithumia. It's in the mind. A good southern phrase here would be, it's all in your head. So when we begin to look and want and desire, again, whether it's something or someone, it gets in our head. And some people will blame, you know, God, God wants me to have this. God wants me to have this or them. And God, you know, I just feel the Lord on this. I just feel, you know, His Spirit. Again, justification. You're lying to yourself. I want to tell a story there, but I'm not. I'm fighting it. That's why I paused. It's in your head. I want you to think about, for just a second, the headspace that you have given to things and people in your life that was un unhealthy. Just, just pause a minute, and I want you to think maybe about a circumstance. Man, and you got into that, and you played it out, and you let your mind run and run and run for days. We, we give it headspace. We can be in a meeting, on a walk, studying, doing jobs, at dinner, doing things around the house, and the entire time our mind is miles away trying to figure out a way to get that person or that thing. And in this particular way, that makes lust, it enslaves us because it robs us of mindfulness, it robs us of being present. Because we can no longer just be with our spouse, with our friends, with, with where we are in life. Because suddenly we're, we're consumed here, epithumia, miles away. And now we're no longer enjoying the moment. We're not enjoying our children. We're not enjoying the relationship that we have. We're not enjoying the favor of God where we are now. Epithumia. Gets in your head. This is why I always tell you that you've got to give your mind a front door and a back door. Because if you don't give it a back door, that means everything that comes in to your mind can put its feet on your coffee table. you got to be able to give your mind a back door. Because in your biology, you're going to think all kinds of stuff. And there's no guilt in that. There's no shame in that. When it becomes bad is when you give it time, when you meditate on it, when you think about it. So as it comes in, you got to let it go. You just tell it, you, you got to get out of here. I'm not giving you two seconds. Get out of here. Because as you sense things and see things, there are things in this life that you are attracted to, that you want, that you wish were yours. 
And that's just part of who we are. But by the work of the Holy Spirit, we are able to say, I have this front door, but there's a back door, and I only let the thoughts that are right and holy and grow me and are safe for me and the people around me sit in my living room when it comes to epithumia. Are y'all with me today? Okay. So, if you want something to the point that you cannot conceive of being without it, it owns you. Now, we're, we're about to see a moment in Paul's life, and I love, I love when he gets this way. We only get it three or four times where we get a really authentic moment about Paul talking about himself. But for me, this is one of the most powerful, okay? He says in Ephesians, he says, I have the right to do anything, okay? This word right is exactly what, what you think, permission. I have permission to do anything. And then he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. That's the key. He says, listen, I believe with all of me that what, cro- what, what happened at the cross, what Christ did, brought, brought me freedom. I don't have to answer these 600 rules anymore. I am completely free. Christ paid it all. It was big and grand and beautiful, and I attached my life to it. He finished the work that I, I could not even begin to, to start. And he says, but... There's a big gap between freedom and responsibility where our self-control has to set in. And he says, I can do anything I want, but it doesn't mean I should do it. It's great that I'm free. I'm free from rules. I'm free from religion. I'm free from sin. I'm free from shame. I'm free from condemnation. These are themes in his preaching. But that doesn't mean that I should do anything, and I'm certainly not going to be mastered by it. So what starts out as freedom can quickly become slavery. So here's what freedom really is when it comes to our our walk with Christ. Freedom is actually going without what you want and being good with it. I don't have that. And I'm great with it. Because I believe my steps are ordered of God. I believe that there are some prayers that don't get answered because they're a trap for me. I believe there are some friends that I don't have because they are unhealthy for me. I believe there are some things that never make their way to my life because my personality can't handle it. It would be a temptation for me to sabotage myself, to embarrass you as a pastor. And I'm, so I'm thankful for those things. I'm thankful that God puts some parameters around my life and says, you know what? There are some things I'm never going to give you because I love you. So even though you may want it, Give that one a back door. Because freedom is really going without what you want and being great with it. Okay? Let me, let me move on. We are, unfortunately, addictive creatures. Now, a lot of times you associate that word addictive with substance use, but that's not all I'm talking about. Addictability can come in many, many, many forms. And so... We try things, we explore, we experiment, and certain things 
hook us. For some, it's people. For some, it's title. For some, it's, a, it's, it's an amount on an account. For some of us, it's, it's where you live. Like, like, like you think, if I can ever get there, then I've arrived. For some of you, it's, it's your body type. You think, well, if I can go from a, a, a four-pack of abs to a six-pack of abs, I've arrived. We, it's like there's, there's this, these measurements that, that you got to get to, and that's where you find your, your happiness, and you get addicted to those things. And so we, we can be hooked on anything. I was amazed a few years ago, and I started in the mental health profession, started doing a lot of research about how addicted we are to technology. How many times a day we grab our phones and look at them? One of the reasons why I got rid of my Apple Watch was because I was always, I was always, you know, constantly. I'd be talking to people, okay, constantly. You know, and finally I had people who I love go, are you, you got an appointment? You need to go somewhere? No, why? Because you've looked at that like 30 times since we've been talking. And sometimes my wrist would vibrate, but it didn't vibrate. You know what I'm talking about? Just me? Okay. I got rid of it. God looked down. It was like, this is getting weird. My body's telling me to check this, but there's nothing going on. Gaming. Man, people got addicted to gaming. You had 40-year-old men playing football to 4 a.m. With four people in Asia. And got up at 5 and went to work. On an hour of sleep. And man, we started looking at ju just the things that can hook us. That want to snatch our attention. We often read of people who have a lot of money and they go into a store and they could pay for anything in the store, but they'll steal something. Why? Because it gets in their head. Epithumia. You know what, what would be more exciting is if you just tried to snatch something and get out of here before somebody catches you doing it. Now, we, we take this, this same thing, whether it's, it's tech, whether it's, it's, it's gaming, whether it's stealing, whatever. I'm not trying to say people are thieves, but I'm saying the seed is all the same. And if it goes unchecked, if you let it get in your head, and you start giving it space, it will grow, and it will stretch into your emotions, and it'll feign you sick. And suddenly, the thought to the emotion can become a, a behavior that comes out in real life and manifests itself. And, and, and suddenly, you're dealing with a situation that affects you and everybody around you. There are a lot of shows on TV right now about body augmentation. People get addicted, even obsessed with changing the smallest things about their body. Here's why all these things, because we are tempted. This is, this is part of a privileged society. It's our Western culture to be constantly tempted with discontent. It's in us. Now, whether you say it is or not, it's, it's there. Unless you are extremely intentional about this part of your life, you are in some way, consciously or subconsciously, continuing to look around you and peruse at the lives of other people and say, what did they have that I need? What do they have that I need to add to my own life? 
So where, what are you driving now? Where are you living? What are you wearing? What's that cologne? Where did you buy that? What's that jewelry? It, it's, it's just, it's constant. This constant assessment of each other. And again, it may not be on, on the forefront of like, well, I got to go out and do that. But somewhere in you, you are comparing yourself to other people. So you can become addicted to just something somebody else has. But where does lust lead us to? What we're reading today is just one story. But in the book of Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, we're enslaved to lust because we have become, watch this word, darkened in our understanding And the words that he uses actually means this. It means a process. It doesn't mean a a light switch went on. You can talk to anybody who's, I'm going to use worst case scenario, you talk to anybody who's had an affair, and they, they, they will tell you this was not a light switch. One thought became another. And that thought became two, and then three, and then four, and then I had a theme And that theme became an emotion. And that emotion drove me to a behavior. And now that behavior has bounced back to me in another emotion called shame and guilt. It's not a a eureka moment. It's not an end suddenly. It's you gave permission for one thought to come in the front door and you didn't kick that thing out fast enough and it invited more people. And it got stronger and stronger and stronger until you wanted that thing, you wanted that title, you wanted that person, you wanted that money, you wanted that object, you wanted whatever it was that you can fill in the blank with. And it drove you and drove you. Lust comes in several moments, but what Scripture talks about, it says, having lost all sensitivity. Okay, that word sensitivity, the Greek word there is alpagio. And the root word means to feel pain or to go without it, the lack of pain, okay, or numbing. When we lose sensitivity, we lose the ability to really feel what our actions are doing. And I'm not just talking about to other people, but what they're doing to you, you're breaking your own heart. I had a pastor look at me one time in my early years. He said, I want you to hear me good. He got in my face and he said, you can build something for 30 years and you can lose it all in 30 seconds. I didn't know what he meant. But as an adult, I know exactly what he means. We can build our life building something beautiful, loving the right people, putting, I mean, putting people around us that are just full of goodness and, and, and loving God and living right, and we can let one thought become unchecked in us. This is why it's important to make this part of our prayer life to say, Holy Spirit, if there's anything in me I don't see, please light it up. Show me. The numbness, and this, this, this will be the hardest thing that I say this morning. The, 
this lack of sensitivity that, that the Bible talks about, this this, this is why when, when we're numb to it, this, this is why we don't care as much that someone gets hurt in the process. This is why we, we don't care as much if a family splits over. We don't care as much if children are traumatized. We don't care as much if we're on a corporate ladder that we step on the head of somebody else to get one rung higher because we have a numbness to it. In David's case, he went so far to say, I want this so bad, I will kill your husband for it. Let me end with this. Rock bottom. When you, when this plays out, when unchecked thoughts get to invite more unchecked thoughts, who get to invite more unchecked thoughts, this is where it ends, okay? You find someone who is emptier and lonelier and more sad and more angry and so they end up, they go to the pantry and they eat the whole box. They get online and they buy one in every, every color. They keep a little box of secrets in their heart and they tuck it away and they shut the light and they turn, they, they, they shut the door. And so every friend and relationship has, has a limit to it. You can do all the superficial stuff and ask me how my kids are and what I do, but as you get closer to me, there's going to come a point where I say, you, you can't come any further because you'll see this box. And we end up hating it more than we ever loved it. And here's, here's the saddest part, because this isn't always out, out here. You end up hating yourself more than you ever loved yourself. And you can spend years, sadly, decades in a pattern of self-hatred of what started with an unchecked thought. Let me end here because I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. In 60 seconds, let me, let me give you these three quick things. If this is you today, Again, okay, no condemnation. What I want to do is, is disciple us, get us to a place where we're saying, hey, if, if, this, if this was so weighty that you can't pick it up, maybe, maybe we need to ask the Holy Spirit to get involved here, okay? Three steps, three quick things. Okay, this isn't all the steps, but it's, it'll get you started. Three things. Number one, you got to tell Tamar goodbye. Okay, Tamar comes in different forms, shapes, titles, whatever. All of us have the potential to be attracted to a Tamar. You got to get her gone. Okay, you got to tell her bye. You got to tell Jonadab, you're giving me the wrong counsel. You got you to take those things that are obvious, the Tamars in your life that are obvious, that when you look upon them, you go, whoa. If I had that in my life, if I had her, if I had him, if I had that, if I had that title, if I had that that thing, if if that if that was in my life, you got to wave, you got to tell it goodbye.
Okay, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with dreaming big and having favor and wanting God, but you got to do it the right way. You see the difference? You got to do it the right way. You got to let God bless you. You got to let Him unfold it. You got to let, let Him do it. But when you get your hands involved and you roll your sleeves up and you say, I, I always, I've told myself this before. I, I used to use the crowbar mentality in my life. And I, I would, still to this day, when I need self-coaching, I tell myself, Kevin, don't, don't use the crowbar. What that means is I want something so bad, I'm not going to wait on God to open the door. I'm going to jimmy it. Because I want it to happen. Don't do it. Tell Tamar goodbye. Second thing, master the discipline of contentment. The way I define contentment is, is this, okay? I'm good with where I am in the process. It doesn't mean God isn't done with me. It doesn't mean I'm at the end. It doesn't mean I can't dream anymore. But where I am right now, I'm okay with it, okay? Young adults, listen to me. Be okay with where you are in the process. You're in college. You're supposed to eat ramen noodles. There's a part of this where you're not supposed to have all the answers and know everything that's going on. Be okay with that. You don't have to be in love right now. Don't give your heart to the first person that wants it. Follow God. Let Him open the doors. Be content. Your life is not always going to be the way it is right now. Pretty soon you'll be adulting and doing laundry on Friday nights. Walking around your PJs, paying bills. That's what you want, right? Be okay with the process. Adults, be great with your job, with your title, with your spouse, with your income for right now. Doesn't mean you, you can't dream. Doesn't mean you can't want. Doesn't mean you can't shape for re retirement or plan for it. Doesn't mean you can't have, have things. It, I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying this. Be happy with what you have. Okay, third, be accountable to somebody. Now, I'm not talking about go on Facebook. Y'all, I need to just confess this. No, that's stupid. And the Bible says that a fool shares his heart with everybody. you got to find somebody who loves you and go to them and do what the Bible says, which is to, to carry each other's burdens. Okay, that's Galatians 6.2. Carry each other's burdens. You don't even have to get descriptive. You can go to someone who loves you and has your best interests in mind and just tell them, there's something in my life I'm struggling with. I need you to pray over me right now. I want to be accountable to you. There are things that I, and I have people in my life that I can do this with. Hey, I got to have somebody I can go to. Say, this ain't, this ain't going good. Find somebody to be accountable to about the thought. You need somebody who loves you to say, you better open the back door. Because your marriage is worth it and the way your kids see you is worth it. Don't you throw away all this on a bowl of soup. All right? Tell Tamar goodbye. Master contentment. Find accountability. All right?